In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 31, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, October the 22nd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Ezra in the third chapter today, the first 13 verses. We're in continuing our study of 1 Corinthians in 16th chapter, the 10th through the 24th verses, and then in Matthew's Gospel, the 12th chapter, verses 22 to 32. <clears throat> so remember that, that the king of Persia, Cyrus, has sent the um, Jewish exiles back, and so the tribes of Judah and Benjamin are coming back to rebuild the city and the temple there. And so Ezra, the priest, is the or scribe, actually, is the one who is writing this book. When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. So they all come together with one heart and one purpose. There arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. There's some thought that Zerubbabel, who is essentially going to be the governor here, may be the same person as Sheshbazar, who was mentioned yesterday as the one to whom Cyrus gave the vessels that from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had taken into the temple of his gods in Babylon. So th- there's a thought that Zerubbabel may be the same person, but then there's also a school of thought that says that, that it might be a relative, because Sheshbazar was one of the princes of Judah who was uh, given control over those things. Sheshbazar is not a Jewish name. It would have been a name given by the king of Babylon to one of the princes of Judah. Remember that he renamed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are not the uh, Jewish names. And so he gave them different names when he took them into captivity. And so Sheshbazar, who is one of the princes of Judah, would have had a different name. There's also some thought that he might have been son of the king Jehoiachin, who was the last true king of Israel, who was not true in any sense of the word other than he was not a vassal. <laughs> So that these come, and they build the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it's written in the law of Moses, the man of God, which sounds great, that they, they want to reestablish the worship, but, but now we're going to learn something. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. So, so what happens is they're vulnerable because the walls of the city have been taken down. There is no temple, and they just reside on this hilltop. And their, their fear of the people of the lands who will come and take whatever they have. And, and so they're vulnerable in every single way. So that what do they do? They set up an altar of worship to the Lord in order that he might dwell among them and they might, they might be given his protection in this place. 
and they kept the Feast of Booths. At that, the, that tells us something about the time of year when it was happening. The Feast of Booths is a fall thing, and it just it, it follows right on the heels of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So you've got Rosh Hashanah, the days of all between then and Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Booths, Sukkot, follows shortly after that. And so probably a month ago was when the Feast of Booths was in our time. And they offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. There's, this is, it's a seven-day plus one feast. Uh, and after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and also at the appointed Feasts of the Lord. And the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. So it's the fullness of the worship of God. The, the, the entire sacrificial system is being observed, and the Feast of Booths is being observed at the same time. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not yet been laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians, people from Tyre and Sidon, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from the Cyrus, the king of Persia, who had, who had instructed those places to, to give aid to the people who are now rebuilding the temple of the God in Jerusalem. And so they go to the same places that Solomon had gone at the time of the original building of the temple. They go and get cedar from Lebanon to the sea, and there they floated to Joppa and then brought to overland to Jerusalem. Now, in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, so we're talking now couple of years after they arrived, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upwards to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers." And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of the king of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, quote, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You can just imagine the joy in seeing the, the beginning of the reestablishment of the worship and the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the Father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, they'd have to be pretty old men in order to have seen it and then come back, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish between the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So these old men who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple now are in a place where they're coming back and they, they see the people rejoicing over the laying of the foundations for the new temple, and they're comparing it with the old temple, and that's why we in Zechariah 4.10, they're fussed at by the prophet and by God to not despise the day of small things. 
Have vision. Have eyes to see what will be. Trust in the Lord that this thing will be accomplished. Don't be saddened by it. And again, I go back to something I said a couple of days ago. Is And would these old men see the fulfillment of the building of the temple? And, and the answer is probably not, unless they live to be a great old age. But just rejoicing to see it and to know and to trust, as Abraham had done, that God's will would be established, to trust in the same way that Moses was called to trust, that they would inherit the land, they would conquer the land, to trust in the way that Jesus trusted, that his death and his resurrection would lead to the fulfillment of a greater purpose than even the raising up of the children of Israel, countless as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. This thing had to begin, but they could see the future because they saw that it was God's will that these things would be done. And we need to have those same kinds of eyes to see things and to lay the foundations on which something of substance can be built. But never, ever, ever not rejoice in the laying of those foundations because it would have seemed absolutely impossible until Cyrus conquered Babylon and set these people free to come back to where they were. There was much to give thanks for, just as I've talked about with that song, Dianu. If, if, if he had only done this, it would have been enough. If he had only done the miracles in, in Egypt, it would have been enough. Well, it really wouldn't have. If he had only brought us out of Egypt, it would have been enough. Well, not really, because they came after you. If he had only split the Red Sea, it would have been enough. And so that, that's the way we need to consider anything we see, the beginning of a work of God that he's promised to us and through us, then we should rejoice even at the small things as though the great thing had already been accomplished. That's the way that we as Christians are intended to think and that we're intended to be grateful and celebrate the work of God, even in the small things. In Matthew's Gospel, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, No, 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 it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Wow. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. This is something that Abraham Lincoln quoted, actually, in his address to the nation, that, that it, the, the, the nation divided would not be able to stand. There'd be civil war in the house, and that's what Jesus is, is speaking here, is, is that, no, we need to come as one. And remember, that's exactly what we're told in that Ezra passage. They, they came to Jerusalem as one man. And so we need to be united in that same way. But, but Jesus says here, hey, if, if, if I'm doing this by Beelzebul, if I'm casting out demons by the power of the demons, then there's, there's a problem. It won't stand. That's going to fall if that's the case. And if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judges. In other words, they'll stand, those, those sons of the prophets will stand in judgment against you for the statement that you just made. Because you're not just saying this about me, you're also saying about those in whose line I stand today. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, you should fear. If I do these things by the, by the Spirit of God, then 
you have reason to be concerned if you are now standing here and saying, well, no, 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 he cast it out by some lesser power by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. He said, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm binding the strong man here, and I'm going to plunder his house by the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, it's, it's us and them, period, end of sentence. It's not um, either or. You, you, there are sides to be taken in the same way that Moses and Joshua posed um, the challenge to the people of their day. Moses had them stand, prophets stand on two different mountains and proclaim blessings and curses, and Joshua did it himself and said, I've set a choice before you today. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? In the same way that Elijah did on Mount Carmel when he defeated the prophets of Baal and said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? Make up your minds and make them up now. And so it's important to see that with Jesus. It doesn't say they're enemies. It says they're not with us, and we need to be careful about that. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is the in my mind, the, one of the apex moments of the affirmation in the Gospels of the Trinity. Because the Holy Spirit is, is the silent one in some ways, who is not there to defend himself. And Jesus says, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, then that will not be forgiven you. Because you're not seeing with eyes of faith. You're seeing with eyes that say, no, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit of a demon. And that's the blasphemy, is the attributing of the work of the Holy Spirit to a demon. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. <clears throat> so be careful in all that we do and all that we say that has to do with the Holy Spirit. And then in the epistle we got, when Tim Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. Because remember, the, the, one of the things that was always the criticism of Timothy was he was too young to be doing that work. He's doing the work of the Lord as am I. He compares him with himself, puts him on the same plane. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, and remember they, they had set Apollos over against Paul. They had preferred him over Paul. <clears throat> And so he said, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He'll come when he has the opportunity. So he's saying that he's lifting Apollos up and saying, I strongly urged him to come, but he, but he didn't command him to come. So he's, he's, he's leaving that room in there to say that we're equals because they have set Apollos over and above Paul. He said, then he tells them instructions on, on how to live in the absence of these apostles. He says, be watchful. Pay attention. Keep your eyes open. Be wary of those who would come and deceive you. Stand firm in the faith. Don't waver. Be willing to accept the challenge of standing firm in the faith against proclamation and persecution against you. Act like men. You know, in our society, that's the last thing anybody would commend, right? Act like men. Paul has some specific content there in mind. He, be strong and courageous is what he means by that. Well, now that's toxic masculinity. But Paul says, no, act like men. Be strong 
And then finishes up with, let all that you do be done in love. And that is acting like a man, being strong and doing all we do in the name of love. And sometimes that can look like violence almost. If you come after one of mine, then then I will meet you with similar force. And, and it's that kind of love, but it's also other things in love. We don't we, we, we love our enemies. We love those who come against us. And so Paul's saying, here, here's the right way to do this. Be strong, but let everything you do be done in love. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus, he was one of the ones that Paul said he had baptized there in Corinth, were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. So he's raising them up as heads of the church there in Corinth. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus. They must have come to visit him. And Achaius. <clears throat> because they have made up for your absence. They refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people as these. The churches of Asia, where he is over in Ephesus, send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, who had come from Corinth with him, who had instructed, actually, Apollos in the complete understanding of the gospel, because he only had the baptism of John. He didn't know the rest of the story, including the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so they had gone with Paul to Ephesus. Remember, they, they, they are also tent makers. It's interesting because I, I saw in preparation for this particular episode that, that one of the people who is considered to be possibly the author of the book of Hebrews is actually Priscilla. And it's because of the way that, that Paul continues, and also Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, continue to, to link these two together as fellow laborers. They're not just uh, husband and wife. They actually had a ministry together. And so people have have come to believe, at least not everybody, but but there's a there's a belief that Priscilla may have written the book of the Hebrews. And there are many other people who believe that Apollos did. But at any rate, they would have come from these people. That, that's how important this group of people, Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila are in in the church history. He says, together with the church in their house, they send you greetings in the Lord, and all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Probably before this, his scribe had written everything, and now he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so we had these admonitions to, to, to stand for the Lord, to believe in him, to not despise the day of small things, and to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit in all these things, but always be willing to give an accounting and a defense for the hope that lives in us.